Did you come to see God do something? Did you hear, come to hear God say something? Praise the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, please. Seventh book in to the beginning of the Bible. Seventh book, Judges. The book of Judges, going to look at chapter 2. I can't share the fullness of with you right now, but uh, I can tell you for a fact that we are just before seeing God continue in the multitude of things that he's doing here. We're going to see a mighty move of God. Not many days hence, we'll be bringing some wonderful news to you not too many days from now. A lot of things are happening. Check in with the pastoral staff. Check in with the college when you're here. Just ask us, hey, what's God doing? We'll share as much as we can. Sometimes it's a little bit premature and we don't want to cause a confusion, but a lot of times we can share with you some things that, that on one-to-one that we can't, might, uh, not can do in the pulpit time. Book of Judges. Today we want to look at doing it God's way. Doing it God's way. Have you, how many have tried to do it your way? How many of you have fallen like I have, flat on your face? <laughs> There's nothing like doing it God's way. Hallelujah. Read with me chapter 2, the first eight verses. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bolcham and said, I made you go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of the place Boachim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And Joshua had let the people go. When he had let them go, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, Jesus, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. Joshua lived to be 110 years old. And he was a mighty man of God, mightily used of God. We pick up, we don't know anything about this man's life except uh, his father, Nun. But we pick up parts of his life. When we start seeing him when there are just a couple of weeks out of uh, Egypt, coming out of that place, and he starts to being raised up by God. No doubt Moses had known him. And as they moved into this Exodus experience, and they moved towards Mount Sinai, Joshua was there when Moses came down off the mount. He was there when he saw the glory of the Lord. He was there when Moses brought down the tablets. He was there as they made camp and broke camp. When they moved to Kadesh Barnea, the place of their decision, he was there. And it was there that he conquered part of his decision because it was there they sent the spies into the land. And the ten says, we can't do it. We just can't do it. They're too strong. 
Praise God, God had two, right? He had two of them, he had Caleb and Joshua, and they said, we are more than able. We are more than able to go in and take this land. And we see and then as they move on out, and we see in the tabernacle that he was there when Moses talked face to face with God. And there came the time when Moses passed away and died. And Joshua then was left to catch and put on Moses' mantle. And he saw the moving of the Lord just as Moses had. He saw the waters part by his action and by his leadership. Jordan parted the same way the Red Sea did. And it was just not a little gentle breeze. That was a sovereign move of God. And he led the people in victory. God gave him battle plans. He was a man of war. He was a, he was a, a, a commander that God had placed there for battle times. And can I just insert here, the church is called to love, sure, but the church today is called to battle. We're combatants with the Lord. And Joshua was a great leader, and he saw victory after victory. But can I tell you that he didn't realize his full potential because this word said he lived 110 years. I said, man, that's a long time. Can I preface what I'm going to say by saying, if you don't live everything that God wants you to, you haven't lived fully. In Genesis 6, 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Joshua lived 110. Ordinarily, in the beginning, the original parents could have lived forever, Adam and Eve. Had no reason to ever die. Sin brought that in. And then immediately we start seeing the breaking down of chronological living in this life. Methuselah lived 930 years and he missed it by 70. We live today about 70 as a general rule and we miss it by 930. Even under a fractured covenant. And it started after sin came, the years began to decline. And in this dispensation we're reading about, 120 years were accomplished. Now there's a great truth in this. Let me just tell you a great truth. By Jews' reckoning, we are coming upon the 120th Jubilee. You know that? Jews say we're coming up on 120th Jubilee. It says 120 years are, are there accomplished to accomplish life of man. And how many of you know the emphasis is now shifted out of the West back to Israel? Many of those old types are rushing back to us. If you multiply, how long is a Jubilee? 50 years, right? If you multiply... One jubilee by 120. Well, how many years do you come up with? 6,000. How many years has it been since our forefathers? What year are we coming up on? We're coming up on 6,000. Plus 1,000 for the millennial reign of Christ makes a complete God's eternity for man. 
that's stirring. That's good. Why? Because soon and very soon, the church is going to move. Even if we use the year 2000, which there's no scriptural basis for doing that, but he says you can discern the times and the seasons. If we just use the year 2000, knowing that plus or minus a few years, if you take away the seven years of the Great Tribulation, we're down to about 1993. Can you wonder why things are tightening up in this world? Can you wonder why every place you look, there's wars and rumors of war, there's pestilences, there's international crisis, the AIDS crisis, a pestilence that man has nothing to cope with. Things are happening, and the church by and large are asleep. They're still trying to operate in just love. And love is great, but love won't cut it for a soldier. While you're loving your enemy, he'll run you through. And I'm not supporting for a second to stop loving your enemy. I'm just saying that we are in spiritual combat and the undergirding thing, your flesh is permeated before you ever put on your armor of God. Of Ephesians 6, you have to be clothed with love because God is love. 120 years to accomplish life. But when we get to David's time, in Psalms 90, it reads, by, by King David's time, life had been reduced down to 70 years. And in the New Testament, praise God, when we get on this side of the cross, guess how long you can live? You know how long you can live? As long as you want to. Wow! Now, I, my mother... 83 years old, was ready to go be with the Lord. She had outlived her generation. She can no longer relate laterally to this, to this world that we live in, and I understood that. And we loved her dearly, but she made a decision that she had just as soon live this and go on and be with the Lord. And that's fine, and there's nothing wrong with that, for a man's years can be three score and ten or seventy years if you want that. That's the basic criterion for God and there is a time appointed that a man wants to die. But can I tell you, God is sovereign and he can know the desire of your heart and as long as you desire to be active for the God, he will increase you to the time that you are happy with living. How many of you knew that before in the New Testament? How many of you have already learned something from God you didn't know before? Well, two of us knew it, and I don't know. Praise God. You see, the key is being in there with God. The key to living a full, long life is being completely possessing the land that you live in. Joshua missed his. He only lived 110 years. He missed his by 10 years. You say, this man enjoyed all of the comforts of his day. He enjoyed the popularity. He enjoyed the prestige. He enjoyed the walking with the Lord. But he still missed it by a fraction. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss God's move in my life. I don't want to miss him that much. I want to be exactly where the Holy Spirit is, exactly where he tells me to be when he tells me to be there. We've got a lot of people this morning who are missing. I have no idea where they are. God does. 
I have no idea why they're not here. They're members of this church. Nobody grabbed them by the ear and said, come down and join this church. They made a decision to be here. And with a decision comes a commitment and a responsibility. And I wait for them. I wait for them. And I pray that God gets them back in his perfect will. And I see so much of the body of Christ willing to take a sacrifice and compromise life. And then when they do that, they wonder what happened when the hard times come. When they haven't possessed their land. And Joshua did not possess the land. Almost, but not all. How many of you know if you just miss God that much, you'd miss all that God had for you to be and do? When you don't possess your land, can I tell you, when you don't possess it fully, quote, unquote, fully, don't be satisfied with half done. Don't be satisfied with just a little bit and make do and charge the rest. When you don't possess your land, your land is not my land. Your land is your land. That's where God leads you, your household, your job, your place, your ministry. And when you don't possess that, can I tell you that you are only existing? You are not living. You are only existing in that fraction that you're not possessing. And Joshua died. And after his death, the people... We're vacillating. Had no leader that they could say, this is the one who's hearing God. There was a vacuum there. And that's why when, when the president gets in jeopardy of being shot or something, the first thing they do is the, the security men try to surround him. At the same time, the security men encompass round about the vice president and the speaker of the house and all the other chain of people. Because they want to ensure that the chain go unbroken. And Israel, when Joshua died, was left to wash. Because apparently, God had always had a leader for them. He had had Moses, and then he had raised up Joshua. But now there was no clear leader to take his place. And they asked the question in Judges 1.1. He says, who? They put the question, he says, who shall go up for us against Canaan? Who'll go up for us? And the wonderful thing about God is he gave them a chance to redeem themselves. Because of all the doubt, he says, I tell you, boys, I'm paraphrasing. In verse 2, God said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. You with me so far? Hallelujah. Judah shall go up. The first year student in Bible study in Zoe College will know that Judah means praise. He says, I'm, I'm taking it out of the hands of men. Of course, I'm going to use a man. His name is Judah. But look beyond that church. I'm telling you in the New Testament, there's a type and shadow there that's glorious for us. He said, I'm sending Judah first. And then Judah, the praise, looked around and says, I need somebody to agree with me. I need somebody to go up with me because he understood intrinsically what God was going to say through Christ that in the mouth of two or three, it has to be established. And he looked around and he saw this man called Simeon. 
And Simeon means God is heard. God is heard. You put together a person who can get a hold of God, who can get the word of God, can get God's plan in a situation, and then you put praise and couple that with this, and you have a viable formula for going into warfare in any land, in any land. You see, there are things that praise can do that nothing else can do and when you put it in the battlement, in the front of the battle. The prophets understood, Nehemiah understood in, in chapter 9 that praise and blessings flow together. They flow together. You show me a person who never praises God, I'll show you a person who is not blessed of God. Why? Because his word says that's the way the thing works. It's just like somebody said, why in the world is the biggest whale in the ocean? Why do they all... This may be enforced the Jonah story. I hadn't even thought about it. But why in the world does the biggest whale in the ocean have a little throat about that big? And somebody asked him, says, I don't know, why is that? And he says, because that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. You can beat your spiritual head against something, trying to reason out why and how come and the who, what, when, and where of God, try to figure him out. But can I tell you, if you're not praising God, you won't receive the full blessings of what God has for you, church. The psalmist understood it when he talked about praise. He said, your tongue is commanded by God to praise. When you don't praise, it's just like you're tucking your tongue and grabbing it and saying, and you've heard the term, hold your tongue. Your tongue doesn't want to be, a, in a spirit-filled person, a vessel of dishonor. It wants to be a vessel of honor. Why? Because the unsaved can't praise God. Only the spirit-filled, the spirit-saved can praise God. Praise does wonderful things. I'm giving you formulas this morning. The psalmist also said that praise gets us into the presence of God. How many of you like to hang around the fringe? <laughs> Not me, man. I want to be right, what they used to call on, right there on the front row. Frank Sinatra came to town here a couple of weeks ago. And I dare say that nobody started at the back of the top of the bleachers and worked their way down to the front. And you say, well, we're different as Christians. Are we? Next time a big name evangelist comes to town, when they open the door, you see how many rush to the top back of the bleachers. But yet when we're getting serious with just God, we want to get on the fringe, hang on the fringe. Let's get down where God operates. Let's get down in the blessings area. And the psalmist also said that when you praise, it brings triumph. Triumph means what? Victory. It means an answer to your needs. It means a, a God moving sovereignly, if need be, on your situation. And then Luke 19 tells us that praise overcomes the inferiority complexes, those things which hold us back. That he did for Israel. 
as long as the old leaders were there. When they could look up in the camp and see Joshua walking through, even though he might have not walked quite as quickly as he used to in his younger days. Maybe he had a little bit of a punch, I don't know. And then they saw the, the, the leaders after him. They could take comfort as long as they saw those familiar faces. But there came a time, it says, they served him all the days of their life as long as they could see those. And they knew, it says, who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. But then you've got verse 10 of Judges 7. And it says, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. That means all that anointed generation before whose time had passed went to the fathers. And then it says, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Another generation came up, didn't know what God, didn't know the word of the Lord, had never seen his works. How many people this morning are sitting in churches and pews and the only thing they ever know about God's word is what comes from up here? They have to be told how to eat and when to eat. And some of them even get off into the shepherding chain thing where they can't even buy a suit of clothes or buy a car unless they have to go to the pastor and tell them, what does the Word of God say about this? So a lot of people this morning love the Lord, but they can't get to God except they go through Rome. We have a generation. We have a generation who knew God, but they know nothing about His Word and His works and His power because they've never seen these things. Their denomination used to have the power of God flowing. They used to see the works of the miracles. They used to hear the tongues and interpretation such as we have. But now we don't do that anymore. No, we, we've passed beyond that exhibitionism. We just don't do that in our church anymore. Like the guy who shouted amen in the church, and Deacon Kimber says, why'd you do that? And he said, well, I just got the Holy Ghost. And he said, well, you, you can't do that. You didn't get it here. Jesus admonished the people for this attitude when he said, because you don't know the works and the power of God, you err not knowing the scriptures, which is the word, nor the power of God. And they had just been chiding him, the Sadducees had about the seven men who, with a hypothetical story about who would, would have the woman if they had all seven brothers married the same woman and they died. And he says, you don't understand, man, how, how this thing is put together. You don't understand the spiritual part. You're still tied to what you can put your hands on and what your little minds can conceive and what you read in the law day by day. But he says, one is greater than the law here. One is greater than Moses. One is greater than Joshua. I am here. I am bringing you through a transition time. Can't you see what I'm trying to get you to do? Jesus was never speaking truth to put people down. He was speaking truth to enlighten them, to give them an opportunity to accept his word and then to move out upon that word. It makes no difference how much of the word of God you know. It only makes a difference how much it comes out in application in your life. Because if it doesn't come out in application, you won't have it up here very long because there's just a law of nature that says what you don't use, you lose. But you don't use, you lose. 
I saw an article about this kind of generation in the Jacksonville paper just not long ago. Maybe you saw it. It was on the national census, and it said that 82% of the people consider themselves Christian. 82%. And my thought was initially was, my Lord, where are they? And then like I've told you so many times, when you hear that kind of thing, define terms. What do you mean you're a Christian? What do you mean by Christian? And the article said that 65 believe religion answers problems. Well, religion will answer problems. But if you just deal on religion, you can answer one problem. It'll give you 5,000 more. And it went on to say that those between 18 and 28 years of age, never they don't come to church between those ages. And I can understand that. I see them go to the beach all the time when their surfboard's on top of the car. I see them lying around the pool where I live. There's a, probably a group of them out there this morning. This article said that one in four say they feel God's presence when they pray. But one in five said, I never feel God when I pray. Never feel him. Never feel his presence. How would you like to speak to your mate or to your trusted friend? And if you spoke to them, it's just like you were talking into the wind. No wonder they can't get close to God. We've got this kind of a generation. 9% say they were led by God to perform special acts. But yet 39% says they don't even believe that there's a devil. Over a third of the Christians said, I don't even believe there's a devil. Don't even believe this. There's one of those things. Yet Jesus said, you better get a hold of this thing because there is a devil. He says, besides that, here's what he does. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his, that's his method of operation. That's exactly what he means to do. If you don't understand that, he'll come in, he'll steal, he'll kill, and he'll destroy everything in, in your life. And we can't turn our backs and just say, Lord, get the devil off of me. He says, hey, I did that about 2,000 years ago. I did that about 2,000 years ago. Get, off, get, off, get on the stick. Learn what my word says about what you can do about that. Because Jesus quickly said then, he looked after he had told them what the devil's method of operation was, his method, modus operandi. That sounds good, doesn't it? Then he quickly came back and told them in the B part, he says, but I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Doesn't say you're going to get it. Jesus doesn't mean just because you proclaim the name of Jesus, all of his goodnesses are going to be poured out upon you. He says, I've come that you might have these things. And you might have it more abundantly. But if we never put any claims upon God, if we never put any demands upon God, if we never reach you in this word and draw it out and apply it to myself, Satan goes on stealing, killing, and destroying. And our story says in Judges 2.12, And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them. And they bowed themselves to them. God's people, chosen people, came out by miraculous word of the Lord, came out of Egypt by a sovereign move of God, protected by the Lord, nourished by the Lord, given the word of the Lord, fed by the Lord, miraculously. Their clothes never wore out for 40 years. Their shoes never wore out. Their shoes grew with their feet. Their clothes grew with them. I don't have any scripture for that. It's just kind of indicate. They might have, they might have built them. I don't know. It just, the indication is that everything just, God kept them miraculously. 
healed them miraculously as they lifted up the serpent on the pole when they, when they put their eyes upon him and upon that ugly thing on that pole. They were healed. What does that mean to me? What do you think Jesus looked like when they hung him on the pole? Wasn't he ugly to look upon? Didn't even have the form of a man anymore. His joints out of loose. He, he hung like a serpent. You can't tell a serpent's got any vertebrae in him when he's just hanging on a pole. And it says that younger generation have forsaken the gods of their fathers and they that and they sought other gods that were round about them, God's people. How many young Christians today are, are out there in the world and they're playing footsie with the world? They're having worldly relationships, close intimate relationships. Coming through our offices almost all the time are Christians who are involved in adultery and fornication and drugs and alcohol and perversions of almost every kind. And they want and they come in and they say, why, why, tell me why this is wrong. And I think, my Lord, you carry a Bible around with you. The Bible most of the time explicitly says every, why everything is wrong. Doesn't take a burning bush. Doesn't take a burning bush. I was listening to Charles Stanley this morning a little bit on the radio. He preached my sermon about two weeks ago. About Moses. He's part of that burning, burning bush. But it says they bow themselves down to it. That's worship. That's praise. That's compromise. Christianity. That's shutting down the blessings of God. And it's compromising all the foundations of this country. The younger generation don't understand anything. They, they want their rights. Well, how about their responsibilities to keep this country what it was founded under? The country was founded under a Judeo-Christian concept. It was founded on the biblical truth. It was founded on the spiritual liberty. And it was founded on their personal accountability. But we've perverted that because we've got a generation and my, my generation is guilty of much of this. They reward laziness. They reward the bums. Bible doesn't. Bible says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Even if he starves to death, that's right. Our country today perverts justice, plea bargaining, judges that make examples out of, out of criminals, give them 900 years for, for some heinous crime. I believe they should be punished, but 900 years, that's overkill. We want to make an example. Bible says don't make an example, give them justice. Perverted justice. Lawyers who sell their souls. They say, they say some of the biggest dealers in dope are lawyers. Our country today murders its helpless. The aged and the children, the children yet in the womb. And yet it frees its murderers because we think we're being humane. And we think that that's cruel and unusual punishment. Can I tell you that God's word that still says if a man takes a life, by his life shall man slay, man shall take his life also. Doesn't make any difference if he repents. Doesn't make any difference if he comes to the Lord. Rehabilitation is not in the plan of God, in the penal institution. That's antithesis to God. 
God says you don't go into prison to be rehabilitated. You go into prison when you've committed a crime to be punished. We perverted that. And our generation has turned aside because they bowed themselves to the dollars and cents that come back through that thing. We've got the whole thing turned around. And we have a generation of Christians who are rejecting the God of the Bible and searching after other gods. They're accepting religion instead of Christianity. Bible says that there's a way that seems right unto a man in Proverbs 14, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If people want a comfortable religion, you can get it. If you want a religion to say, go out, and I had, I had a brother-in-law, my sister's first husband, Navy Flyer, she married him. He was a Catholic. Felt that he could go do about anything he wanted to, and then maybe once a year he'd go to confession and everything was okay. A way that seems right to a man. We've got Pentecostals that think just because they're liberty, they can, they can go on in their bad attitudes and they can go on in their perverse ways of living. They go on casting down their brother. They can go on in rebellion, refuse to be admonished by the church and by the pastorate. We've got people who, who take the leadership of the church and they trample it under their feet for their own good feelings. And when you try to correct them, they get offended. The Bible says that God has put in the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teaching for the perfecting of the saints. If the saints won't re receive that because of their stubbornness. We've got a generation. Never seen God in act, in spirit, and in power, Jesus said. Never seen him act in spirit and power. How many of you, if you thought about it, could think of a church right now where they've never, they don't know the spirit of God, and they've never seen the power of God act. They've never seen God humble his people as a congregation to the point sometime where there's a holy hush that falls over and other times, praise swells and ebbs and flows like an ocean. And they've never seen the laying on of hands, and they've never seen bodies healed. And they've never heard prophecy, and they've never hung, heard tongues and inter interpretation. They've never seen the gift of faith work. Never seen the power of God nor his power. Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians 2. My speech and preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power. Enticing means pacifying words. We get the word pacifier from it. Baby cries, shut a pacifier in their mouth. A little baby Christian cries, don't, don't make them mad, they'll leave. Pacify them. Stick a little pacifier in their mouth. Don't let them mature, pacify. Let them, let them do all kind of disruptive things. Let, let them war against the church, but don't correct them. Pacify. Paul says, I didn't come to you that way. My words came to you in demonstration of spirit and power. 
My desire for this church is to see the demonstration of God's Spirit shake us and move us and design us and flow with us and place us exactly where God wants us to be and at the same time see Him operate through the ministry that He's called you to and at the same time corporately see God's power fill up this place and see Him act by His sovereignness to heal and deliver. That's my cry of my heart, to see a church so strong that they can believe God for this city. And after we've got Jacksonville for Duval County and then spread on out to the rest of Florida and make an impact on the United States, we've already got everything in place for an international ministry. It's time. It's time. Many Christians of this generation have never seen real spiritual praise and worship. They've never seen God flow sovereignly in a service. And they've never seen the Word of God spoken with authority from the pulpit with, with nobody biting their tongue, just putting it out under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I pray to God every time you come to church that the Spirit of the Lord will stir you. He'll do one or two things, three things. He will make you angry, He'll make you tremendously glad or he'll stir you with the truth. In spiritualness I'm talking about. I don't ever want to be guilty of saying anything in the flesh that would anger you, but I want to stir your heart to be everything you can for God. I want to speak the word of God, and I know the other pastors of this church do too. They want to speak the word of God to us that will charge us and bind us together and cause us to be everything that God wants us to be. And in Judges 2.12, it says, by their own actions, by not believing God and not doing the things that their fathers had seen and their fathers had said and the works of their father, it says that, that by their own actions, they provoked the Lord to anger. How many of you want to anger the Lord? I don't believe I do. Because I've been under the chastening of the Lord. I've been with the, Holy, with the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and says, that's displeasing to me. It's not very much fun. But they provoked the Lord to anger by their actions. And it goes on to say in verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Hot, hot, hot against Israel. And we could put the United States right in that little, we could fit it right in there. Can I tell you that the anger of the Lord is hot against the United States? He is not going to overlook this country for its evils. And he is not going to overlook those compromised churches and those compromised pastors and those compromised ministries. God is not going to say, tut, tut, boys, that's okay. Forget it. Forget it. And when God is working in your life, when he's trying to look you, look you over and refashion you and refashion me into the image of Christ, if we want to keep something in there that doesn't look like the image of Christ, we can forget about saying, God just overlooked this little thing. That's just the way I am. And he says, forget it. I'm not about to overlook it. You can pay me now or you can pay me later. That's kind of a hard saying, isn't it? I don't like saying that kind of stuff. My charge is to, is to be everything that God would have you to be. 
It says in verse 14, And he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he stole them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Sin still kills and destroys. Ignorance robs of God's power and his provisions. But praise God for verses like Judges 2.16 that kind of culminates our story as I bring this to a close. You know, there's, there's some buts in God there's, that always bring around the hope of the Lord. And Judges 2.16 says, nevertheless, that's kind of like a but. Conjunction is put in there. I know what all that stuff was before. I know what's been going on in the land. I know what's been going on in your life. But the word says, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hands of those that spoil them. God's not going to leave a soul in bondage that is crying out for a way of escape or for information. If they, if they really want that, he won't leave them in bondage. I sat with a group of people last night until I thought my spirit was absolutely going to burst within me because I sat there and they're good people and they love the Lord, but they are so ignorant of what God wants for them and they're satisfied in their ignorance and will stand and try to justify it, staying ignorant. And I could there no more speak any words to them because they were not ready to receive it. They would absolutely choke. I gave them as much as I could, but they would not receive. And those people this morning are sitting around in their churches. And if they, if they make a sovereign move toward God, it's always coupled with, if it be your will. You ever heard that saying before? If it be your will. I prayed a lot of prayer years ago in that. But now I pray in the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Nevertheless, it said, I'm glad for the neverthelesses. And God won't leave that kind of person desolate who's seeking for a way of escape, who's seeking for information. That the judges that God raised up to deliver Israel met their needs of the hour. Can I tell you, God's got judges that he's raising up today. If they can't get it where they are, if they can't get it in their land, God will send in a judge. He'll have them turn on the TV set, and on that TV set will be a judge that will tell them how to get out of their mess. God's raising up teachers and preachers who are on fire for God, little pockets of fire that people will hear about by a word, of, a word from a friend or an innuendo or a little tract and they'll hear about a church where God is really doing something. And they will say, well, I know. But I'll just go back over here because this is where I've gone for 20 years. This is where my father went. But there's preachers and there's teachers who are on fire for God. They've got the word of God. They've got the, they've got the message of the Lord. They've got the message for their people. They've got the message of the heart of the Lord for the hour. And there's a remnant of believers who are active and excited because they have seen the God that, that we serve today and they've seen Him alive and they see Him in their everyday walk and they see Him in His power and His omnipotence even though 
The physical part of, of Christ is there, but His Spirit operates within us, and we expect that remnant does to see God move in our life. And seeing this, we're led to a decision. Today is the 3rd of May. Just a few days ago, it was Christmas time. Then it was January, then February, March. April quickly went. Today's the 3rd of May. And it'll be June and July. Where do we decide to believe God? Psychiatrists and Christian counselors tell us that you have to have a point of origin. You have to decide that there's a point where you're just going to believe God. And I know I came to that point. There came a time when I had to say, this is where I put my foot down. This is where I believe that this is where I'm going to start seeking God. Everything was before that I repent for. This is my day. This is the day I choose God over everything else. There came a time in my life when I had to walk away from aspects of my life that I thought were vital to me. Areas of, of endeavor, of work that I was involved in. The good salaries the pleasurable things of life. But I had seen a glimpse of what was the more important. And I have never been sorry looking back. Now, if God had shown me what he was going to ask me to do then, I would have said, oh, Lord, let me, I, I know I can't do that. I'm going to stay right here where, where God is merciful, isn't he? When are we going to say, where's our point? That's what we're leading up to. Do it God's way. Let's do it God's way. Let's begin at that point and then let's stay in the victory of the Lord. Let's do it God's way, church. And this is your day. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.